My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur. Through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the Donnerverse Part 4, and joining me to discuss the 1984 Supergirl movie starring Helen Slater is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, returning guest, Tyler Patrick. Welcome back. Hey, thank you, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Thank you for letting me be part of this uh, discussion. I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm always happy to team up with you, a fellow Superman podcaster, and talk about this stuff. You were on Digging for Kryptonite last year. We did a great episode on Superman Redeemed, the fan cut that combined the quote-unquote best of Superman 3 and Superman 4. So I was thinking about this. We've had you on to talk Superman 3, Superman 4, and now Supergirl. So only the best for you, Tyler, when you come hey, on the show. You know, my thing is I'm always the champion for the underdog. And sometimes, you know, it's more interesting to take something that's bad and find what was good in it or discuss what worked, what didn't, than just praising something that we all universally know is good. You know, we, like, like, yes, I, I love Superman the movie. We could talk about that, but we just say good things. You know, there's, there's a few negative type things we could say, but this film is going to be an interesting discussion. Um, it, it has a fun legacy as part of our podcast uh, because when I first started the podcast, like I've said this before, like the Krypton report was supposed to be originally was going to be the last daughter podcast. It was supposed to be just a, a Supergirl podcast for the TV show. But then I took it, we, we changed it up some, we, and one of the first, episodes as we tried watching the Supergirl movie and I was still learning all the technical aspects and my mic went out in the middle of it. My computer crashed. And I mean, the recording was just bad. I think I have it buried. I think I physically put it on a disc and buried it somewhere. Um, and then we rewatched the movie as a, a Patreon uh, with, it was me and James, James's uh, girlfriend and my wife, Jania watched it for uh, new year's. We actually watched it new year's Eve on our patreon um because my wife had never seen it and james's girlfriend had grown up with the film so she loved it so it was a very cool conversation because james and i had talked about it here and there but we had never like experienced it together so you know that was cool and then when you asked me to do this i was like yeah it'll it'll be great it'll be it'll be fun well, I love to hear that, you know, you like to champion the underdog and I think that will help because I think this movie certainly falls into that category. I will I will admit I was and I remain a bit conflicted about doing this episode because as I've said before, like when you and I talked about Superman 3 and Superman 4, I have no problem expressing a negative opinion that I have about something. But at the same time, I don't like punching down and when something's an easy target and everyone involved, you know, in, in the making of the movie and the audience sort of agrees like, "Hey, this didn't work." I'm sort of like, well, I don't really, I don't take any joy in piling on. <laughs> so there's a little bit of, of reservation on my part in that sense, but I do agree with you. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. There's a lot, of course, that doesn't work, but it's really kind of fascinating in the ways that it doesn't work. So I think yeah. we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about. There's, and, yeah. There's choices in it. Like, I can understand approaching like, you know, okay, for example, this is not the greatest film trilogy, but it's always interesting how they try to approach each film a little different was the Blade trilogy. 
you know, you had three different directors and each film was kind of approached a little bit stylistically different. The tone was different. Um, the way the story was told was different. Um, and I can understand approaching this, like, okay, we're going to do it a little different. Okay. But then in that same breath, some of the choices they make in this, I'm like, why? Yes. And, and I've done, you know, I've done a lot of research on it over the years um, and stuff that'll come out about why I believe certain things were done the way they were for this film. So it has a, it's another one of those films that has a troubled production. And you know what? I th- Maybe the only Superman movie that didn't have a troubled production may have been three. Because I feel like when I think about the history of every film, I don't, I feel like I don't hear that much problems that happened with Superman three behind the scenes. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I think there might be something to that. Well, it's funny. So I'm thinking about that now. Anybody listening message us. (laughs) Yeah. Let us know. But you know, I know again, like you just explained, you had revisited the movie fairly recently. I had not watched this movie in decades. As best as I can recall, I watched this maybe once as a kid we probably rented it on VHS. That's really the extent of my memory of it. And, you know, over the years, you know, you see clips here and there and documentaries and things like that, but I really had little memory of it. And, but of course I was well aware of the general feelings toward the movie. And so I watched this a few weeks ago in advance of this episode. And I watched specifically, I watched the director's cut which is about 138 minutes yeah i got i got notes here on the cuts um of how this production broke down um but yeah that's that's the one i'm most familiar with because it's the one that if there's one cut that i feel like the studio like got behind and that's what's kind of like this is what we want the movie to be it's the director's cut Interesting. So, you know, we can unpack this more, but just to lay it out for the audience, when the movie was released, it was Warner Brothers dropped it and TriStar Pictures distributed the movie and they chopped out 20 minutes. So in the United States, it was 105 minutes or so that was released. The cut number one, right right here, theatrical cut. But internationally, right, they released a a cut that was 125 minutes. And then years later, they unearthed this 138 minute so-called director's cut. Now the international cut and the director's cut are both together on the the current Blu-ray that's commercially yep. available. The archive Warner archive put out a few years back uh, because like a little history um, and the original release, like the theatrical cut was only available on VHS. It's never been put on DVD, the TriStar release. Um, and then like in 2006, they put out a release of it on DVD, which I found that at one of those like buybacks um, when I was like, you know, building my DC collection, it was $90 because it's so rare and you couldn't find it. And for the longest time, I, I was like, why didn't they just throw this movie in the Superman Blu-ray packet? You know how like, you know, you, you bought it has two cuts of Superman one, both versions of Superman two, three, four returns even has Superman, the mole man on there as a special edition. I'm like, why didn't they just put Supergirl in there? Um, and then I, I want to say in 2017, maybe, I don't know the years run together. Warner archives released 
um, a Blu-ray that had the two cuts and I own that. And, and then the, uh, I think it's the international cut is the one that's on HBO max. Yes. I checked that last night. I was curious and yes, you are correct. That's the one. So, so for this, I watched again, the 138 minute director's cut, the longest cut of this film that's commercially available. And man, I felt every freaking minute of, of this. It was, I'm not going to lie and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a slog. It was real tough to get through for anyone who needs a refresher. The Supergirl movie is a story of Ethan, the gardener, a hunky <laughs> landscaper who catches the eye of a local sorceress as well as Kara Zor-El, the strange visitor from Argo city. Is that right? That was my takeaway. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, he, he's also a pedophile because he's hanging out, you know, at a girl's high school. Um, and <laughs> I'm trying to remember the nickname we gave him, you know, I'm not trying to plug my own Patreon, but man, like that episode is hilarious to hear like my wife and James, because we're just cutting up the whole time. Like we're, we're having fun watching it. And there's so many jokes going on because you know, the, the movie, it lends itself to be embraced for the jokiness. Like you can't watch the movie and be like, this is so serious. Like, there's a certain, huh, kind of, okay, flavor. you got to, okay, <laughs> you know, you're just like, hmm. if you go in trying to be serious, it's not going to work. Yeah. I, you know, I really tried. I, I made myself a nice bowl of popcorn and I might've poured myself a cocktail and I was like, you know, I'm really just going to have fun and relax and watch this. And it was, it was tough to get through. And it, it, it took me, I think by the end of the movie to really figure out what bothered me so much about it. And this kind of circles back to what, what we were just getting at a couple of minutes ago. I think what sort of bothers me about this movie is we've had bad Superman movies, right? We've talked about Superman 3 and Superman 4. Yep. But I look at those movies and I can understand why they went wrong and where they went wrong, right? In Superman, the story. Right. And so Superman 4, for example, as, as we've talked about, really interesting concept it aspired to be something more but it didn't have yeah. the budget and it didn't have the means to execute the vision but the intention was good there was something that they were trying to do superman yes. 3 and i said this when we did our episode i think it was ill-intentioned in the sense that i don't think a campy richard pryor starring vehicle is the right mode for a superman movie but 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 i can sort of understand like if especially you're dealing with richard lester a director who leans into the camp right Richard Pryor, mm -hmm. huge star at the time. So the idea that like, oh, we're going to combine these elements and we'll make this Superman movie. It's like, okay, I get, you know, I, it wasn't the right call, but I, I get why, why, why yeah. we ended up with that. But with the Supergirl movie, I just look at it and it's like, man, you had enough of the ingredients there. And Helen Slater, fantastic Supergirl, great casting. I, she was the saving grace and the lone shining spot in this movie. Yes. So it's like there was enough there. And I, so that's what kind of bothered me about it. I'm like, man, like it, it, it didn't seem to have some of those other things that again affected the, the other movies. And I was just like, man, you, you could have nailed it. I mean, they, they tried to take, it's so interesting because they tried to take the formula and redo it in the sense of unknown for the main character, uh, top quality actors as the people around her. Um, and they didn't want to just do cut and paste like Superman, the movie now Supergirl, the movie and, you know, doing the research and we'll get into it about why 
some of this just the story goes off and you're kind of left with plot holes and you're left with trying to piece stuff together. And yeah, yeah. Helen, I mean, Helen Slater is great, but I think some of the directing him, you know, it's always one of those things where you can acknowledge like you're doing well, or you're a good actor, but you can tell like they were just doing what the director was telling them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I always (laughs) joke like, you know, the, the star Wars prequels used to get so much hate, you know, but I'm like, we all know you and McGregor is an amazing actor. So you can tell he was just doing what he was being told by the director to do in certain parts. Um, and I feel like some of that's here because some of the choices on how Kara interacts or Kara, I'll probably use the terms interchangeably just because it's become a habit. <clears throat> and some of the ways that she behaves especially in the earlier scenes is very questionable mm. you know she's supposed to be a what a 16 year old like helen slater was 19 and she's supposed to be like a 16 year old but she's acting like a five-year-old at times in the beginning like she's very childlike and some people have even hinted that maybe she was uh mentally handicapped <laughs> you know i've heard people say that just because she's like the way she's acting is very childlike and it's it's interesting when you sit back and look at like why 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 are you why 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 yeah again there's a lot that's that's kind of baffling about this but i want to just jump back for a second because you mentioned the fact that this movie is not included on the motion the superman motion picture anthology dvd or blu-ray set right which includes the four christopher (laughs) reeve superman movies along with the Donner cut and the special edition of the first Superman movie and Superman returns, but it does omit the Supergirl movie. And so that sort of lends itself to one of the other reservations I had about doing this episode and specifically doing it as part of this Donnerverse event, because I guess now this sort of begs the question, what exactly is the Donnerverse? Because on the one hand you could say, well, any movies that exist within the universe he created, and that would include Super Supergirl and Superman 3 and Superman 4. Alternatively, and more with the exception of this episode, <laughs> more so the way I've been thinking of the Donnerverse is the direct work and direct influence of Donner. So, of course, it's the first two movies, and specifically the Donner cut of Superman 2 and Superman Returns, which was very much intended to emulate what Donner had done. Whereas you look at Supergirl, you look at three, you look at four, you know, yes, it's still Christopher Reeve. Yes, it's still the same general style. It's still utilizing the John Williams score, but those were really kind of often doing their own thing. So there was a little bit of internal debate as the, as the podcast host where I'm like, do I count this or not? But I guess let me, let me throw it to you. I mean, do you, where do you sort of view the Supergirl movie in the, in the context of this Donnerverse discussion? My my thing is, I look at it like, yeah, it's kind of the Donnerverse. You could use the Donnerverse, but it's it's another one of those, the Salkinds verse or um, the Christopher Reeve era, like, you know, other terminology. Because, you know, when you look at the history of Superman, the movie, when Richard Donner came in, it really, he put his kind of put his foot down and took control of, of the verisimilitude. You know, that's a big thing that people use when you talk about that is, you know, seeking the realism in this. And he set the stage. And now, you know, he can, 
you can say whatever you want, but like he, he, he got it started. He, you know, he's so involved in the first uh, film that's his film. And then like you guys had said before on your previous episode, you can see his work in the second one, you know, and it's, it's kind of like in the same vein as like the Batman anthology where you have Batman, Batman returns, Batman forever, Batman, Robin, where if you go from Batman to Batman and Robin, you're lost, but you're kind of going down this journey where you have connective tissue um, that keeps those films together. And, you know, with Supergirl, DC did it first, Marvel, maybe not to a success, but they have, you know, a, a film that spawns trying to do an, uh, their own universe. Mark McClure shows up as Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl. And we have the Christopher Reeve poster, but we'll get into all that later. <laughs> um, so I in just, you know, it's part of it. I feel like it's part of that error because they were trying something with it. It's kind of like the, the almost like the one we don't speak of because it does connect, but at the same time, it kind of stands off on its own because of how it turned out. It was just enough to say, oh, it connects, but also enough to say that doesn't matter um you know my my first experience with the film was my cousin was watching i think on tv and all i remembered was just seeing supergirl fly and then after that i can never find it and never found it to rent or anything and it wasn't till uh 2006 when it came out i thought about buying it but then i did it and then when the Supergirl TV show was coming out, I was like, I need to watch that movie. I was like, I need to find it. And I think I've only watched the movie ever like three times total. Um, but yeah, I mean, I count it because it was in that idea, especially when you look at the original plan, what they were going to do with this character and where it was going to go compared to what eventually happens. Kind of like with Superman, you know, four and three, like we have an idea. But then what we actually get from that is is completely off base from where the, the it started. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, again, you know, not not I'll take a step back and I won't split hairs. I mean, yes, I, I do agree. Ultimately, these these the four Christopher Reeve films, Supergirl and Superman Returns, I mean, they all exist within the same cinematic universe. And I do think regardless of how we define the Donnerverse itself specifically, I do think it was an oversight or, or, you know, uh, the, the wrong move to omit it from that motion picture anthology. And I'm, again, I, I, I can't stand here and defend really the, the merits or the quality of the film, but it, it does still exist within that world. I think that should have, and like, to your point, you look at all the supplemental material that they included in that. Super pop. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Supergirl movie should have been in there. I think I think that was uh, that was a slight towards the movie. That was really unwarranted. I think that should have been in. I mean, look, three and four are in there, so it's like, come yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, it's like, why not put it in there? Because it's just helping your brand. It's helping build, and it's it's one of those things that you know there are people who can look back on this who loved it as a child, who saw it, but then have just never been able to re-experience that because they can't find it. Like it's it was rare. It's still pretty much the rarest of any of these super film series. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a slight to it that it should have just been included in that set. 
I shouldn't have had to wait for Warner Archives to put out something. I should have just had it. Yeah. Now, one thing that I, I had sent you in, advan- in advance of this is a, I got pulled up right here. A, a treatment written by producer Ilya Salkind, Salkind uh, for Superman 3. Obviously, they ended up going in a different direction. But it's it's interesting to talk about because his treatment for Superman 3, this unused treatment, featured Brainiac and notably Supergirl. Yeah. And the premise, it's, I don't know. I well, well, before I lay it all, what was your what was your impression of it? Well, when I started reading, I was like, "Cool, cool, cool, cool." What the heck? <laughs> Why? What? Um, you know, because the whole like, and I guess that there is credence to this in the comics, but it just doesn't play of like. Hey, I'm the last girl of Krypton. You're the last man. Sure, we're cousins, but let's get together. Well, so the premise and, of and all, so like, just for anyone who's not familiar with this, because I, I was I was not. I mean, I guess I knew generally speaking, right, that there had been this idea of using Brainiac and Supergirl, but I never knew the specifics of it. So the the treatment that the producer wrote lays out the story where effectively Brainiac finds Supergirl's ship. Uh, and it's sort of a, a twisted mirror image of the Kents finding baby Kalo. So he raises Supergirl and falls in love with her. So there's that very weird and twisted dynamic there. And then eventually she crosses paths with Superman and they embark on a romance. Now, the treatment does make it clear that they're not cousins, that they're not related. But it's one of those things where, you know, the character now, at the, you know, I'm still, we're talking the 80s, but the character has been around a while. People people knew <laughs> that they were cousins so there's that it's one of those you would just bring into it with you yes without, even though they would try to say it and then be like oh no we're not cousins you're still in the back of your mind like you're cousins yeah there's a lot of baggage there that i think would be exceedingly difficult for the audience to sort of divorce themselves from and and so and then there was this whole time travel element where they ended up in medieval times it was it was that's when of- i got to that's when i got to the what why because yeah. they brought in mixus pitalic and i'm yeah. like no 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 like if you would have kept it, I think it would have been really interesting with the idea that like this, this twisted version of the Kents with Superman, you have Brainiac writing Supergirl, you keep her as his cousin. And now the one person he finds from his family who's still alive is evil and is his enemy, you know, and you have this huge kind of battle. I mean, that would have been interesting because the whole point was to have her in Superman three to build up to then do her own film right and i i just i i don't like the idea of let's get superman and superhero together no so (laughs) so let me say a couple of things one my favorite part of the treatment was brainiac has this personality altering machine and he uses it on Superman. And it's, it's it, again, it's interesting to see the ways in which elements from the treatment ended up in Superman 3, right? Like, so in Superman 3, we got the, the supercomputer. It wasn't Brainiac, but you could sort of see how there were elements of Brainiac at play there. And, of course, we did get a, a, a dark, bad version of Superman brought about by Richard Pryor's synthetic kryptonite. But so in this original treatment, Brainiac has this machine that alters Superman's personality. But we get to see him going rogue as Clark. And there's this, there's just a couple of lines about how like Perry White gives him some direction and Clark like slaps him, which I thought was like, oh my God, I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a producer writing a treatment. Right. So 
there's enough good in here that I could see you giving it to a screenwriter and then being like, okay, well, we're going to toss this out, but <laughs> this is going to work here. Yeah. You know, because there's stuff in here where I could see just I'm like, oh, then we do this. And then like, oh, we, we make it like this. And, you know, you like, um, you know, you've heard the stories of John Peters. You guys talked about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, on, on this podcast, we're very familiar with John Peters and the street fighter that, that he, that he <laughs> was growing up. I'm going to, I'm not going, this is not the hill I'm going to die on, but I'm going to mount somewhat of a defense. Bear with me on this of the Superman Supergirl love story. Now, let me preface this by saying, ultimately, I think it would just work better if, if instead of Supergirl, it were a different Kryptonian or the Superwoman, something. I think making it Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, I think that is a misfire because of that baggage. However, having now revisited Superman 1 and Superman 2 in particular, and regardless of which cut of Superman 2 you're talking about, same idea. We, we leave Superman 2 with this pretty firm notion that Superman can't have a relationship with a human woman. Lois in particular, but generally. I think either cut of the movie shows, like that's not in the cards for him. And it's it's sad, it's heartbreaking. But I really feel like that's the outcome of that. So, you know, in Superman 3, we have Lana Lang as his love interest. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And I love Annette O'Toole. And that, you know, I, I, I like that aspect of the movie. But it's like, well, we've kind of gone down this road. We know that this is not his path. So the idea of moving on from trying to have a relationship with Lois and introducing a Kryptonian, who this is an entirely different category. He, he This is something he could explore. I'm on board with that. I I do think making it Kara was not the right call, but in, I in, in concept, with, I think that works. I agree with that. I will flat out say, I think that is a great, just moving that arc of moving it here. Like you had said before, like, what do you do after Superman 2? Where do you take the character? And I think, that is a great place to take it. Um, you know, I've always thought the story with Supergirl, we're always, I, th- I always feel like we're one beat off from that story. Because I think the story of Supergirl and Superman really starts with the brothers. And we never get a story with the brothers. We never get the brothers on film together. You know, we had two different versions of Alora and Zorel on Supergirl TV show. And then we were introduced to a horrible Jarrell on Superman Lois. <laughs> and um, we've never had the interaction. I mean, even in Smallville, season seven, we get a Zorel and we have the voice of Jarrell talk like a little bit about Zorel. And then season nine, we have a Jarrell, but we never get any interaction of them together. And I feel like that's always what's missing from the Supergirl Superman story is where that initially comes from. Um, And, you know, this treatment was the first idea for Superman three, but that didn't happen. But then in that same vein was the, uh, I guess there was a script that got tossed out for Supergirl. Then there was one they were working on. And we have to think that Supergirl was kind of, it came out a year after Superman three. So there's some overlap in production and because of the disappointment of Superman three Supergirl was altered because Christopher Reeve was supposed to be in the film. And then he had a larger part to play. And then he was reduced to a cameo, but then they still filmed like things in the script that I believe had he been in the film would have explained certain th- scenes 
um, like a little bit more of how Karakara is knowledgeable of her cousin and how she knows he exists and who he is and how the evil witch knows about the Phantom Zone and like all these things where you're just like, this doesn't make sense. Like the story as a whole, there are plot holes and, lo- and leaps in logic in the story where you're like, this makes no sense. And I'm, I think to myself, like, you know, in the original script for Superman 3, they were supposed to show how Argo City survived the destruction of Krypton. But they just like, or not Superman 3, and Supergirl. But, you know, it's another example of because Superman 3 didn't do so well, this got changed and, you know, altered. And we got a movie that makes no sense. Yeah, there's, you know, it's funny because there were there were numerous instances where I stopped myself and I'm like, are, are you just being nitpicky? And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, there's just, there's certain things that just defy any logic and were really frustrating watching this. And, you know, I like I said, I specifically watched the longest cut of this. For, I mean, A, because I was like, look, I'm going to talk about it on the show. I don't know how many watches of this movie I really have in me. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> just go for it. And, and also because I did figure, well maybe the longest cut would address because again i had read about the movie and i know there were things that didn't quite line up so i said well maybe this longest cut would would solve some of that but it didn't now so i was aware that you know christopher reeve opted not to do a cameo in this but i always thought that was the extent of what his involvement was ever going to be but you're saying that there was a version of this where he actually had more than a cameo in the movie he was so what what i've understood from my reading and stuff was he was originally supposed to like uh meet Supergirl and then he like fought off he fought with Zelina on a quick side note for the longest time I thought it was Zelina with a Z yeah and then I found it was just Selena and I think it's just the one dude like said it weird that sounded more like a Z so in my brain for the longest time I thought it was Zelina and then when I found it was Selena I was like that's not cool I like the Z better but I guess Superman was supposed to fight her and she was going to send him to the Phantom Zone and then Supergirl had to like defeat her, or whatever, and rescue Cal. And I didn't, that was part of built into a script at one point. Um, and then just because of, like I said, the fallout of Superman 3, Chris didn't want to do as much. And then he eventually was just, I'm just washing my hands completely of this and walking away. Um, like, all right, that, I mean, that obviously would have changed the movie. In a, in a larger way, let's say he just did a cameo and you posted not too long ago, a fan edit where someone digitally inserted. The man is a, he is check out his stuff. He's done an interview with Sam Rizzo on the Superboy legacy podcast where he's restoring Superman four. And he's doing a whole, like, it's just a lot of great stuff, but yeah, he did. He lined up some footage of, Kara and Chris together that is just amazing. I, I can't praise his work enough of just how it looks right. It was it was very impressive. I mean, it was cool to see in and of itself, even if it had been rougher, it still would have been cool to see, but it looked really, really slick. Uh, I guess my question is like if he had done the cameo and it was something something along the lines of what we saw in that fan edit, how much but assuming the rest of the movie were largely the same, like, how much would it elevate? It would elevate the movie to some extent, but how much for you? I would say it would elevate it and you would have had him show up at the end. Because there, there is, in the story, there is a line of dialogue that is complete BS, but 
you hear on the radio that Superman's off Earth at another planet, like so many light years away on a peacekeeping mission. Well, okay, so now Superman's going to other planets. Like, when did that happen? But if that's how you explain his absence in the film, I think having him come at the end and really having a, a moment of them two kind of bonding and kind of this idea of, oh, so maybe now if we have another Supergirl movie or another Superman movie, we'll have interactions with them. Um, and it would have been like, it would have elevated just like, oh man, like there is Superman and there is Supergirl together compared to, because um, I don't, either you have the cameo at the beginning, but I think with the way this film was, having the cameo at the end would just work better. Um, but, but at the same time, the story is so weird. <laughs> Let's, can we just get into like, this okay we, we we were talking about how they want to do this film differently this film is what's the word i'm searching for is framed as a fairy tale where superman the movie is supposed to be this sci-fi action type you know superman one is a biblical epic you know that that's on record that's the kind of the inspiration is this very you know 10 commandments cecil b demille um ben hur you know epic Supergirl, the film was designed to be more of like a fairy tale uh, from the way that it's presented with, you know, more fantastical things, the villain being a witch, um, you know, and that plays into the tone of the whimsicalness of this film. I'm, I'm surprised in a way that, you know, I'd like to see more about like we're talking about the production, because why not have Richard Lester do this movie? Right. And this I don't think we've even said it yet, but this movie was directed, and I apologize if I butcher the pronunciation, but Jeannot Schwark, who would go on to direct on Smallville. Yes, that, that's how I've heard the name pronounced. So that's that's how I would say it. Um, Jeannot um, directed Jaws 2. That's the first time I ever heard his name. Uh, he also directed Somewhere in Time, which had Chris in it. Um, I knew he directed after this one for the Soul Kind Santa Claus, the movie. And then, of course, he went on to direct many episodes of Smallville. So, including one of the notorious uh, season four episodes with Lana as the witch, when when Lois and Chloe become witches as well. Yeah, hmm. got a thing for witches there, you know. I think so. I don't know. This is a tangent, but the that episode of Smallville is so weird and out there and rough. But the commentary is great the commentary yeah. redeems that whole that whole episode so for anyone who hasn't uh if you're a smallville fan if you haven't <laughs> listened or watched that episode with commentary it's it's worth it it might turn you around on that episode uh, it is so weird but it's also just like it it's one of those episodes where i'm like tom had a good time filming this right yeah here. i think so <laughs> you know he was on set like this is a good day good day of work people pack it up um but when you look at Supergirl, the movie, you think fantasy fairy tale. It, it helps in certain aspects um, because the logic is not always there. I mean, first of all, from the, from the beginning of it, we find out she's in Argo City. But Argo City looks like a hippie commune. Right. Visually, it does not line up with the Krypton that we saw in Superman, the movie. The visual language is is not there. 
and she, you know she's playing with their power source the omega hedron and she's playing with this thing and it's like why would you be playing with the power source you know it's this ball thing and fun fact is the omega hedron is actually later used in supergirl the tv series they call back to it and have a a thing with it oh do they i don't remember that what 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 season was that do you remember i want to say it's three or four. Oh, i don't remember that i so uh, you know and i and at some point in this episode i'm sure we'll touch on our larger supergirl fan journeys i mean for me the supergirl show on the cw definitely looms very large although i will be honest i gave up a couple of episodes into season six so i've never watched the full you, final season uh just the final season like even with like the covid and all the stuff they had to work with it it just to me it just fell blah like they 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 wasted time when they should have been wrapping up character arts and they should have been Ill- alleviating characters like you should have been okay this character is done like let's get him out of here but and it should have gotten back down to where at the end it was Kara right it, it should have been all, like Kara on her own and and then it ends like I, I don't know there's this weird thing where I want a series finale to feel like a series finale and not a season finale mm-hmm. especially when you're planning for it you know like you know like this is the last season you're writing for it you're planning for it um, and that is not how I feel with the end of Supergirl. It did not feel like a series finale. It just felt like, okay, when's the next season? I hear you. I, while I didn't watch it, I did, I did read about it and I actually did watch the final scene. So I know how it, the, the, what the, how the very end plays out. And I, again, I don't mean to derail us, but I do think that our Supergirl fan journeys generally are, are interesting and I will devote more episodes to this in the future. But I feel like I've touched on this before. It's Supergirl sits in sort of a weird spot within my larger Superman fandom. I think due in large part to the period of time in which I grew up reading, because I grew up with the matrix version of Supergirl, this protoplasm being from the pocket universe who takes on the form of Supergirl and has a relationship with Lex and then merges with a dying earth girl named Linda Danvers and becomes an earthborn angel. Like that's my Supergirl. And that like explaining her comic book history is like just that what you said right there. So what? <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, and then it was not till Jeff Loeb reintroduced more of the common, what we all think of as Supergirl, you know, in, in his run of Batman Superman. And I mean, you know, putting that back into context, Supergirl, the movie is a pre-crisis Supergirl. Cause it was what, two years after this, that she died in, uh, crisis on infinite earth so her after that event up to the jeff Loeb, it's so convoluted like there it's there's so much of just what is and it's like you know during the death of superman time period it was matrix and Who that you, is such a weird way to explain Supergirl <laughs> for for you I mean who who is your quote unquote your Supergirl who do you think of first when when someone says Supergirl well I I think now it, it I think it, it I think Melissa especially with the first two seasons really captured so much that that's what I think of because first of all I didn't have access to the movie like I knew it existed but I never really got to enjoy it and then the way that they kind of did the character on Smallville was they 
like we want Supergirl, but we don't want Supergirl. And it, it wasn't handled as much where you felt like Clark, even though he wasn't wearing the costume, you still felt like he was Superman. Um, I didn't always feel that way with Kara on Supergirl. So, or I mean, Kara on Smallville, when she was Supergirl, like she didn't always feel exactly like Supergirl. So I think when I hear Supergirl, I think of Melissa, you know, even though the latter season started to um, tank some on the show. Um, it, But it's weird because, you know, even I think of the animated series where she was technically Kara in Z, where she was more uh, like Daxmite than Kryptonian. And he just called her her cousin because she was from a sister planet. And he was like, kind of just taking her under his wing. It was like, he'll be my cousin, you know? Um, so that was interesting. It's like, they wanted to do the Kara story and make it clean, but she was not alive in the comics. So they created this NZ version. Um, so yeah, it, it all gets really wrapped up and, Weird because you know, like you've addressed with Superman the movie being a very pre-crisis era, and that's sometimes the hardest thing about that is most all the other Superman like media, I guess we could say, you know, TV, whatever that we're most familiar with is all post-crisis. So there's there's commonalities in that version compared to you know not as many fans are gonna go back and watch the George Reeves show. And even when you do you're that's in black and white and you're like golden age, or that's that, you know, that time. But with the Chris stuff, it kind of gets muddled to where you're like, even though it's like the seventies, you still kind of pull it into your thinking of the character now when it's really not. And I think that's how Supergirl works too, is this is a different version. I mean, I've read the comic with the first appearance of Supergirl. Um, it's weird <laughs> just because she shows up like, Hey, I'm your cousin. All right, cool. I'm going to drop you off over here. You can be Linda Lee. Bye. I know. And you're I- just like, wow, you got family, bro. And you're just going to drop her. Okay. Weird. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. It, it's, it's a complicated and convoluted history. And I think especially the period of time that we grew up especially with that Matrix Supergirl. And I have a lot of affection for that version and that Peter David series. I'm not knocking it, but yeah, the it, it's a it's a weird sell when you're trying to explain it to someone. And and yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's sort of hard for me because I that version is so ingrained in my head. But then to your point, I was introduced to the, the Kara Zor-El version in that Superman-Batman arc by Jeff Loeb and Michael Turner. And again, Smallville utilized that iteration as well. And I will say what was most compelling about those tellings and you see that play out in the Supergirl TV show as well is this idea that she has memories of a life on Krypton whereas Clark doesn't so that's one clear line of demarcation between them and this tragic twist that she was meant to be his protector and look after him and now of course he's had this whole life and he's the ultimate champion of earth. And so now he's in more of that, you know, paternal role to her. So I think that's really interesting. My, one of the things that I think always didn't, I didn't quite, didn't re- quite resonate with me from the Supergirl TV show with, with Melissa Benoist was that she had lived so long on earth as a human 
that I think you didn't have, you know, a lot of her stories played out in much the same way as Clark's stories did or would. And I think yeah. what's what's interesting, and like Smallville, I think, played this better and, and you know, and the, and the comics too, where it's like she's not going to approach things the same way that Clark would because she didn't grow up here and she hasn't had as much time here. But the Supergirl show, you know, on CBS and the CW established this pretty lengthy period of time. I mean, basically most of her teenage years and beyond she was here. So I, I feel like you really lost that effect. And I think that was, was, that was a loss. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause one of the first conversations we had on the podcast was, well, do you just do Supergirl as the Superman? Like, like, Superman doesn't exist. You just do Supergirl as as that archetypal character and not have to explain. And they tried to do both, you know, in the first season that Superman was there. And then, of course, season two, they brought in Superman, but they still tried to do this whole thing where she, like you said, she's on Earth, but you, you know, you have to kind of dive into like she lost her purpose because her purpose was to protect. And, um, I don't, I don't know if you've got to it and I haven't read all that. I don't remember, but they did a really interesting thing in the new 52 where they made her a red lantern because of all the rage that she had from life, losing life, losing her planet and all this. And I thought that was a, an interesting way to take the character. And then they also did the hell on earth um, storyline that really focused on her. And because she has that difference of, you know, living a life on uh, Krypton. And I think, I think the best version, honestly, of the character in a whole is the Superman unbound animated film. Okay. Where it, where it's like, you're one beat off from her first arriving. So like, she's been here a little bit working with Cal, but she's still not fitting in. And that brings back the whole Brainiac storyline um, and where her place is with everything. And, it's kind of like with this movie, it's like, how do you do Supergirl the movie and not make it just cut and paste Superman? Um, and there, there's some interesting things to it. Um, first of all, one choice about this movie that I hate, I'm going to say this. I think this is stupid. I'm going on record. The, the, the concept of the inner space. <laughs> Why? They're what's, basically yeah. What's so what's so confusing about that? It's inner space. What more do you need? No, I yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> that movie with Martin Short and Dennis Quaid. Um, you know what's I funny about it. this though, and I and I don't mean to cut you off, but it's just like no, you know fine. watching it where it's like they don't explain what inner space is. They don't explain how Argo City survived. They don't explain, like you said, how they know about Earth or Superman on Earth or Clark Kent, which we'll get into even right. more. They don't explain any of this, and all you really get is that they're in inner space. And you have to imagine that between the producers and the screenwriters and the directors, someone was really pleased with themselves. They were like, well, we'll just say it's inner space. Hey, they're not out in space. <laughs> they're here inside. And they were like, oh, and that's all you get. It's it's kind of hilarious. Perfect, dude. <laughs> you know, like, love it. Um, you know, basically, they're like shrunk down and the original was the, the idea that they're living in a raindrop on a leaf in a by a lake was the idea. Like they're shrunk down and I'm like, why? And like you said, like Kara has this knowledge. Like, oh, 
earth. That's where my cousin lives, right? Do, do, do. Like, I'm going to go see my cousin. And you're just like, that doesn't make sense. And then one of my favorite things, and I don't, as a filmmaker yourself, if you pay attention, when Clara takes the really weird shift, that makes no sense why she's going after the megahedron because none of this makes sense. Um, and she almost gets from the inner space. She's in the lake. So we know she's in a water droplet. It comes up and then all of a sudden it opens. She has the costume all of a sudden and she comes out of the lake. That out of the lake is actually a cardboard cutout of her because they didn't have the budget to film her actually coming out of water. So it's, if you watch it really fast, you can see it does not look right of her popping out of the water. And then it quickly cuts to actually being Helen Slater flying. And, you know, that whole inner space concept. And it's one of those pseudoscience terms. Like now, like it's quantum mechanics It's you know, we're throwing out tachyon particles tapped on top of the quantum generator. And we're just going to go back in time. You know, it's just one of those scientific things. We just throw out there sound like we're smarter than we are and just hope that people don't think about it. Yes. Well, we did think (laughs) about it and we're talking about it and we're going to take a really quick commercial break and then we're going to keep talking about it. So we'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I am an alum of these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. A great friend of this show is one of our regular guests, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor on Instagram. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions to save 10% on your order. Again, that's promo code FSP. It helps support the show too. Thanks. And we're back. So yeah, going back to Argo City and just the setup of of this movie, yes, it is baffling how again none of none of it is explained as far as how Argo City survived or how they know about Earth or Superman. The thing that I think was really weird to me was and I and I don't know if I should fault them or credit them because I'm I'm saying to myself, why did they even bother with this? They could have reused footage from Superman the movie 
of Krypton exploding. And then you just kind of like cut to the side and you have another ship that's leaving. <laughs> and yeah. that could have been our setup. And then you could have just had Zor-El sort of speaking to, the, to, to her in the rocket. And that could have given us everything we needed. It was just like you introduced all, you know, they introduced... Uh, you know her parents, Zorel and Alora. Uh, Mia Farrow played Alora. Who who was the actor who played the uh, Zorel? Zorel. Nobody cares. Okay. It, it, really, it was almost like a throwaway person. I swear. Because <laughs> I looked it up. You know they're like ah uh, this guy because we got Peter O'Toole to be Zoltar. Zoltar. Right. So you know we introduce her parents and these other Kryptonians and this this community that survived and and like we said very very divorced from the the Krypton and the Kryptonians that we had seen previously um and yeah i mean it just it in it's just so odd to me because it invites all of these questions and i agree with you that it it certainly does have the the hallmarks of of more of a fairy tale now that for people who who know my feelings towards all of this that does not work for me i don't generally love the magic the more magic centric or supernatural tinged stories dealing with superman or, or related characters so you know right off the bat that doesn't totally fly for me but had it been executed better i think i would have i would have been responsive toward it i mean the idea of reusing footage of krypton exploding and like even if you had just done like a part of the planet blowing up and like flying off to the side like this chunk survived or you know you 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 partner with you know one you're reusing footage so you're saving money you're you're connected tissue and why not make Peter O'Toole Zor-El? Right. Yeah. Let's not make him Zor-El. <laughs> why, you know, and he's Marlon Brando's brother. Okay, I can buy that, you know, compared to hippie number four over here. Um, it just, like, that's what I was talking about with choices where they're like, hey, we did this. Let's do something completely different over here. And you're not even trying to make it work in somewhere yeah, you're doing something different, but it feels like it's part of this. Like this is the same extension, these, you know, people. And since we get no setup of, even if it had just been a ship floating and like the idea that these were people like on a scout ship or something that survived the explosion and, or something we have no history about really Argo in general. And it just makes it, you know, she goes to earth. She automatically knows about her brother or her cousin. And, you know, she shows up in costume and you're, and of course you're just like, cool, Supergirl, that's her costume, you know? And they went through multiple costumes. I sent you the pictures just to make sure that you had seen them of her and her at the time, more comic accurate costume with the sweatband. And it looked horrible. Helen, the Helen Slater looks really bad in the alternate costume i saw it Um, in the on the dvd or the blu-ray there's the i think it was a television special the making of the movie and they showed her screen tests and one of them was her in that more comics accurate costume so it's cool i mean like it's cool to see especially if you're a comic book fan because she looks just like supergirl of the comics from the 80s right but yes i'm glad that they did not go with that for the actual movie i mean her the costume they settled on for her in the movie is awesome it looks great um, and I, I want to show you these. I know this is, we're not on the video or we're not video, but I actually, if you can see these, Oh yeah. um, I've never opened these. Jania found these at a shop, like an antique shop one time. And, uh, it's Supergirl, the movie tops trading cards. And I have them sealed up. I've never opened them. 
Uh, but I just thought I'd show you that because that's something kind of neat that I have, you know, merchandise wise from the Supergirl movie. And what's funny is also like every poster for Supergirl, the movie looks weird. Yeah. Like Helen Slater, just like her face or something just looks off. Like it's it such a misma- mismanaged production. There's only one thing about, it I will give it a lot of praise for the music. Okay. There's two things. <laughs> one. I really do like the, the score. Jerry golden thaw is a golden. Th- I won't pronounce it. Correct. Yeah. Golden Smith. Gold, goldsmith um his score is awesome i do really like his score for supergirl um it's very fun but the phantom zone when they go to the phantom zone and the fact that like we try to sh- they tried to show us in, in this film what inside the phantom zone looks like i'll give them mad props for that i think it looks it was pretty cool i think that was a neat place where to go what to do even though it makes no sense how we get there and it's um but yeah yeah it's funny my favorite phantom zone is from krypton the series which you'll get to i know but this is my second favorite phantom zone just want to throw that out there i'm excited i'm excited to get to the krypton tv series that is one of the the recent relatively recent gaps in my fandom and i'll be closing that as of now According to my uh, master spreadsheet, uh, the podcast. 2024. <laughs> no, no, that'll be the end of the podcast this year. That'll be oh, our, our final nice. couple of episodes this year. I'll, I'll watch the Krypton series. So I'm excited to get to that. The Phantom Zone was on my list. Uh, so I'm glad you brought it up. It's funny. And I, I mentioned this in a, in a prior episode. I'm, I'm sort of split because there's a part of me that's like, especially in this Donnerverse or the Christopher Reeve verse, whatever you want to call it, there's something really cool and mysterious and scary about this, you know, this, the floating glass that, you know, that, that, that traps you and you're floating in space and it seems horrific. It just seems Mm. like living hell. You're like, Oh my God. And part of me feels like it would have been better if the actual space of the phantom zone were just left to our imagination as opposed to taking us into it and it's like, all right, like it's a desert and caves the way we also see it represented on Smallville and the Supergirl show. But at the same time, to your point, I do give them credit because it was like, well, okay, what, what can we expand upon? What can we do? That's a little bit different. Where can we take the audience that they haven't been right And the audience knows the phantom zone. So all in all, again, I don't have much good to say about this movie. So I'll, I'll mark this as a positive. (laughs) They, they tried something and they brought us into the phantom zone. Uh, yeah i mean it looks cool and you know it, it's crazy that zoltar's there yep he got sent there for some reason by somebody because of the omega hedron um there's just so much like story beats that don't make sense like okay first of all here i'm trying to keep things in my mind in an order one thing i hate in this movie and i've seen it in other things is i hate that when supergirl first shows up on earth the first people she meet are redneck, pedophile, wannabe rapist truck driver guys. Like that's like her first thing is the first people she meet are people who want to abuse her. I'm like, real like really? Like um Well, the Superman Batman arc basically played the same thing. Right. right? She comes out of Gotham Harbor and the guy the guys on the docks go after her. Yeah, she's also running around naked then too. Right. And because she comes out. <laughs> but at the same time just like that's the first people she interacts with and uh that's uh, that always just bothered me 
Um, I hear you. I mean, I'll, I'll say this going back to not to harp on the, the Argo city of it all, but just the setup of the movie to me, one of, one of the fatal flaws of this film is that, and, and it's so baffling to me why they, why they felt they needed to do this. <laughs> they create this sense of urgency. They put a ticking clock on her need to find the Omega Hedron, the source of, or one of the sources of power of Argo city right? They got to get this back. Otherwise the city and its inhabitants will die. This is urgent. She cannot delay. Yet the first thing she does, or one of the first things she does is enrolls at an all girls school and adopts a, a human identity. And it just totally undermines the urgency that they have established. And the thing that just irks me so much and part, I don't mean to get so worked up about this, but it was just like, why? Like if they yeah. had, if the setup for this movie had just been, and again, you could have gone in any number of directions, but if it had just been, we want to send you to earth to experience earth culture. Okay. Or if she needed to find the Omega Hedron, but it was more like a backup power source or something like that. And it was like, well, it's, we kind of need this back sooner rather than later, but you know, take your time, experience earth. But it just felt like, why? Or she just snuck out. Yeah. Like she snuck out like a teenager to go to Earth because she learns about her cousins on Earth. She wants to go and find her cousin, you know, and gets caught up in hijinks, you know. Yeah, but, that was one of yeah. the biggest things that just really, really bugged me. I mean, yeah, there's so many choices of why did you do like she goes to the school. Okay, well, we're we'll, we'll other. Did you know that one of Supergirl's powers is she can walk behind a tree and change her hair color and her clothes. <laughs> yeah, apparently that was my favorite. Like, Oh, now she's a brunette in a outfit and gives herself a, a name. And she, you know, knows about Clark Kent to be her uh, person that enrolled her in Midvale. That was the bridge too far. You know, it's one thing that they know about her. Oh, also just, you know, one other thing just from the outset, she gets to earth very easily. It seems Right. Because she's on Earth, in water, in the lake. Right. So she just left and like expanded, <laughs> you know, and came out of the inner space and grew to being in space. Gotcha. Okay. You know, <laughs> and came out of the lake where they were living. I'm. I mean, like, like I said, it's just one of those like. Yeah. You, you've you've overcomplicated something that should be a very simple story. Yes, that's the thing. You've less more confusion to the audience. Even the audience like us who should be able to like head cannon, piece this together, shortcut, we understand it, you know. And here we are like what is this? Like I, I don't get it. Like I, I I'm trying to make logic of this story. But even for a story about aliens who look like us who come here and have powers, this makes no sense. Well, it's funny too, because right, like we talked about the ways in which Supergirl, when, you know, when stories are well told, right, can really stand apart from Superman and really have a compelling backstory and motivation. And so again, this idea that she's meant to care for someone who is now going to care for her, very compelling. The fact that just like Kal-El, her world is gone, but she remembers it and yep. she doesn't have this upbringing with the lovely Kents, right, who made her right. love Earth. And none of that is present here. And so it's this weird thing where like, again, they initially set up this sense of urgency and she has to protect her people, but the people are still there. You know, it's not like this begins with Argo City getting destroyed. It's just, right. it robs, the, like this, this movie very oddly robbed the character 
of most of the things that I think make her compelling. Even and like and once again, trying to put myself back into that pre-crisis Supergirl. Who was she? What was she? What was her stories like? And I haven't read that many um, of those, so it's very, it's very hard to try to like think. Much like you know, you've talked about how you've reframed your your visual understanding of the Clark Kent Superman dynamic in the reef in these films. Trying to do the same thing with Supergirl is difficult because we don't have as much reference material. Like I haven't read as many comics and stuff of it. So trying to think of a good Supergirl story without going to what is more current or is difficult. And, you know, it's like they wanted, like we were talking about, does it connect to this, this universe and everything? Well, I mean, we have, you know, when she's in school, who does she meet? But, Lois Lane's sister. Now, something I I learned recently was originally Demi Moore was cast to be Lucy, but she dropped out to do something else. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was like, oh, I did not know that, but that's cool. Um, what did you think of the casting? Because I I felt like she really felt like she could have been Margot Kidder's sister. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things. Like, do you make her just like Lois, or do you make her completely different? Than Lois, mm-hmm. and that's that's a discussion we've been having about with Superman and Lois, where we got a newer version of the same Lucy Lane that we had experienced before. Um, but yeah, I mean her 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 brassness and like she's uh, playing all these sports and she's involved and she you know grabs Kara and takes her under her wing and uh, it, it's just weird because it feels like these are all like mini movies almost like oh this is this section's a movie. Or a story. This Argo City is a story. This Supergirl stuff is a story. Like, um, but you're trying to f- piece it all together. And you know, I learned that the the town that they visit, you know, that has the great Popeye's chicken that we haven't got to yet. Um, the amazing product placement. And not only is it product placement, but how many still pictures do you see uh <laughs> of Supergirl, the movie where she's in front of Popeye's chicken. I know that you are a fellow Power Rangers fan. And so this immediately yes. called to mind the Krispy Kreme of the modern uh, yeah. movie reboot of Power Rangers. It's like, I, which one was more egregious? I feel like Power Rangers because they talked about Krispy Kreme a lot. Yeah. They, they talked about at the Krispy Kreme and this, they like. <laughs> They just went to Popeye's like, the, Hey, we're going to go out for food. And like, they went to Popeye's and like, no one, like you didn't have Jimmy. Like I got to get that Popeye's I'm in town. Let's hit Popeye's. Right. Or, you know, like you didn't have some dude like walking down the street, eating a like bucket of chicken and holding it as like, he gets blown away by the, you know, we have the massacre scene of the equipment attacking people. And I mean, it, it's great to see her in action. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, but it's just, it's such an odd scene. Like we, we've barely touched on Selena because honestly, it's, it's hard to talk about because it's so bizarre. Of Like she's a witch, but she needs this to help power her. And then like the best way to kind of talk about her is like, you would have to watch the movie and talk about it because it's such her layer, her play. I mean, everything is so out there and, and it just, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense half the time. 
And it's Faye Dunaway who gets top billing in the movie, a la Gene Hackman in the first, uh, you know, Superman movie. But, uh, yeah, I know we haven't really touched on her much. I mean, it's 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 rough. I mean, you know, she's this this local sorceress, like real small potatoes sorceress, who, like you said, needs needs this power source to fuel her magic. She's also in this nebulous romantic relationship with her mentor, the warlock Nigel, who's also Lucy's teacher, which I will say one of the funniest lines in the movie when Lucy and Jimmy are, are kidnapped and they're up in the cages with Nigel when Selena has uh, captured all of them. And Lucy's like, I think that's my math teacher. <laughs> that was yeah. that was genuinely funny. And Selena has this um, uh, her her you know her little sidekick there, and you know views Supergirl as being in her way. And again, you know, I joked about Ethan the gardener at the top of this, but it's this weird thing where. And it's been a few weeks now since I watched this. And part of me is like, maybe I've blocked this from my memory. But I, like this, the setup for a lot of this, right, is that Selena wants to test her powers to, uh, to, to win the hearts of, of men or to, you know, to control minds and hearts, essentially. And so she tests it on Ethan. And then she just will not let him go. And this becomes like the tug of war with, between her and, and Supergirl over him. Yeah, because all of a sudden this dude sees Supergirl. He's he's supposed to see like Selena and yes. fall for her, but he sees Supergirl and he's all about her. And you're just kind of like, this is where we're going with the story now. Like it's like the story jumps around. Like we'll forget about the Omega Hedron for a little bit. It's all about Ethan the Gardener. <laughs> and I I could I could say some jokes, but I'm not going to. Um, and then it's oh yeah, we need the Omega Hedron back. And then like Selena builds a castle in the middle of uh, Popeye Chicken Land. <laughs> and you know we get Supergirl fights electric monster. She fights a dragon. Um, she makes a turns into light and s- sends Selena to the Phantom Zone. I believe at the end, it's all kind of very like, huh? You know, and I've I've kind of wanted to, and I I wanted to do this before we recorded, but I just think I, I kind of wanted to play the movie for my kids, just to get their opinion on: is it track enough for them to follow a story? Are they enjoying it at all? You know, it's kind of like uh, I can throw on Batman and Robin, for example, and my kids can enjoy it and follow along and come around and had a good time watching it. But could I do that with Supergirl? Like, would they enjoy it or they just be like, what, 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 what's going on? Like, what, what? If, if a five-year-old looks at me and a seven-year-old and they're like, I don't get this, then you, you've really messed up. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I would be, I, if you ever do conduct that experiment, please feel free to share the results. I, I would be curious. I mean, yeah, I don't, like, I, I could understand why Batman and Robin would work, especially for a young audience. I mean, you know, it's funny. And on Digging for Justice, my upcoming uh, Patreon uh, companion show on the DC movies. I, I will get to those, the, those Batman movies and, you know, I'll reflect on this more when I get there, but you know, I, you know, Batman and Robin came out, was it 97? Yep. So the year was, of the weird comic book movies, spawn Batman, and Robin steel, steel baby. And, uh, there's, was there one more? I thought like there was one more, but yeah, I always think of those spawn Batman, Robin and steel. But I remember, 
I mean, I remember seeing Batman and Robin in theaters and I think I liked it. And I was probably, the, you know, the right age for it. And it's colorful. And we've got the over the top villains and it's silly. It's like, you know, I, I, so I don't, but I don't know that Supergirl has those ingredients to work, you know, even for a younger audience. It, it, it doesn't because it exists in this weird pocket of it's not fun enough, but it's not serious enough. It wants to try to do this weird both. It doesn't want to be Superman, but it goes in a weird way that it doesn't even feel like it's really anything at the same time. Because there's so many little misses in the story and, and with Selena that you're like, well, what's really going on here? Like, why? Like, there's all the questions like, why is she enrolled in school? How does she know about Clark? You know, like you said, it's one thing to know about Superman. And then, you know, when she gets to Lucy's dorm room, Lucy has a poster and, you know, and at the time she's Linda Lee, she's like, oh, that's my cousin or whatever, you know, rubbing on the poster and all excited. And it's just like you had an opportunity to really, I mean, without even thinking about the idea of you were making the first female superhero film. Without, without even going down that, like the historicalness of that, and it took till 2017 to really do it right. Um, just you had the opportunity to continue your super brand, to do something different, but you went so far different that you got lost. And I think, once again, it just gets wrapped up in the problems of another movie affects this movie. The problems from Superman three filter into okay, we have to change things for Supergirl, or we don't have Chris now, or what are we gonna do? And you know they got Mark McClure because I guess he was like, I'm not doing anything. Um, it would've been nice if we could have got a Margot Kidder cameo or something, you know, just her with Lucy or I, I don't know. Like we, you and I could see and we could probably like within five minutes come up with a much better supergirl film idea and map it out and have it all you know plotted out and what we what you could have done then and well you've kind of been doing that the whole time but yeah well you know it well it's it's funny because we've been talking here and there about the supergirl tv series and you know they didn't introduce tyler hecklin as superman until the second season for that entire first season they only ever talked about superman (laughs) And never even, or almost never even mentioned him by the name Superman. It was always my cousin. And, you know, in the pilot, we got just the quick, you know, shot of him from behind or his boots or whatever it was. Like, we never saw him. He was always talking about him. And it's, I can appreciate the limitations and I'm sure the frustrations of trying to tell an effective Supergirl story without having access to Superman because the two, the two go hand in hand. So I'm sympathetic to a point, I think the Supergirl TV show did the best they could in that first season and it worked well enough. And I do think here, if they had simply, and again, not to harp on this, but I think if they had just, I think her home, she should not have had the home to return to. I really think that, like, let's say they, Christopher Reeve is like, I'm not, I know I'm no part in this. I still think they could have made something work because if we see her rocketing to Earth, maybe we reuse the footage from, uh, 
you know, from Superman the movie, or maybe she's on Argo, maybe it is a ship, like you said, and they get hit by an asteroid and they rocket her off, right? So we parallel the Superman uh, escape story and she gets to Earth and she finds out that, you know, her cousin's not there. He's off on this peacekeeping mission, but hey, he is this adult and he doesn't need her the way that she thought she was going to be needed and her home is gone and she has to fit in. I think it works well enough and I do genuinely think like the scenes of her meeting Lucy, meeting Jimmy, adopting her identity as, you know, wonky as it was. And yes, those weird, you know, clothes and hair changing powers make no sense. But I feel like that was where, like the movie worked best yes. and it's relative, but it's like, that's where it at least worked best. And, you know, it's like going back to what you were saying at the beginning. Yeah. She is very childlike in the beginning, but you know, I, I felt like that captured this sense of wonder, right. I'm being on a new world and, you know, with those you know, the, the attackers at the beginning. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Those were the first people she encountered, but it's like, she, I felt like, you know, it showed that, that childlike wonder initially, but she's also, there's that toughness there and she like immediately defends herself. So like, there's, again, I feel like there were enough ingredients there that with a better setup, this would have worked vastly better. And it could have still worked without Superman, even though yes, a Superman cameo at the beginning, the end, both, anything, <laughs> you know, would have really helped solidify it all, but they still could have made it work. I agree. Um, <laughs> you know, on, and honestly, it would have been interesting because like you said, when she gets and she enrolls in this, like when she comes out as Supergirl, you have some really good things. And when she gets in the school, like it really feels like that's where the movie really works. And the, the opening of her on Argo, I think that's where it's, that's the weakest, the Argo stuff. And then at the end where she's going back to Argo is like really weird and kind of weak. Um, I'm very surprised they didn't do something of her flying by the earth and winking like, you know, um, it, it's very hard to kind of not think in a modern filmmaking mindset. Um, trying to think, and I'm, you know, honestly, I, I think back to, you know, the original OGs of the connective universe is the Universal Studios monster movies, you know, back in the 30s and 40s. Um, they're the first ones that, you know, started, hey, we have Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman. They put Wolfman and Frankenstein in a movie together. Then they did House of. I think it was a house of Frankenstein. I always flip them. One of those house of Dracula or house of Frankenstein where they put them all together. And then of course there's the classic, Bud Abbott and Luke Costello where they have Frankenstein, Wolfman and Dracula all in there, you know, and they made this like, universe that actually, if you look at it, some of the characters don't make sense, but the Wolfman's story actually has a nice through line. So, I mean, there's your original universe building idea. And I think about, okay, how they made movies then. You know, that's compared to how would you connect the idea of, you know, building these characters together. And so it wasn't a relatively new concept is what I'm trying to get at. Like, it wasn't like, you know, Supergirl was the first one, like, I'm going to spin this movie out of this movie or whatever. It had been done before. But it just seems like when they did this, it was like, what were they thinking? Because it's so drastically different. Some of the stuff makes no sense. I mean, I even understand low. I mean, look at Superman four. Okay. If you want to talk low budget. So, I mean, I understand the concept of, of cuts and alterations because of budget, 
but I still should have a story that makes sense. And I do advise anybody who is a fan of Superman, watch this at least one time. You have to watch at least one time to say you've seen it and to complain about it. Like it's one of those things like you have to experience it at least once. Yeah, I would echo that. Also, you know, I'm not advocating this. I I don't I don't uh, I don't I don't partake. I don't get high myself. But part of me wonders if you were to. I feel like this movie might actually work <laughs> really well. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying for those out there who enjoy, I, I, I don't write know. Write us email. Pass us email. There um, might be something to that. I don't know. I can't speak for that myself, but I feel like I'm going to tangent and just based on people i've been around and stuff um i'm gonna go on a whole line here but my my sister-in-law here has her her medical card for her back pain and stuff i'm gonna go on a tangent here and say yeah this may be a whole nother experience um for example i don't ever really drink at all very rarely uh but when we did the recording for this on new year's my wife talked me into having a drink and then when my wife and i did our commentary of the Halle Berry Catwoman movie. We shared a bottle of wine and that made the movie a little bit more enjoyable um, and flavorful to talk about. And I feel like this movie is not so bad that it's enjoyable. It's more of a frustration because you see the good in it and you see what could have been, you know, the Halle Berry Catwoman movie is a horrible movie. Like just period. Like that movie is bad. Um, but when I watch Super, I'm like, like, this scene is good. This scene is good. Helen Slater's doing something really great here. I can see the character. This is fun here. But then you're looking at the like the villain side, and you're like, this is all bad. And you get more frustrated It's because you're like, you were so close to something. And not even like in Superman 4, where like, this is bad. But I can still watch that movie and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about before, like I'll watch four over three any day. Um, but Super, you're just like you were so close, but you missed. And it's it's a it's a rough experience. Um, yeah, I think this. The, I agree with all of that. The movie falls apart in a lot of ways, but in particular, the villain. I mean, I know I've I've been focusing a lot on the setup to this because I feel like it really just gets the movie off on the wrong foot and in the wrong direction. But for the bulk of the movie, the meat of the movie, for me, especially when I was watching this, I was I was pretty engaged with Helen Slater's Supergirl and and Linda Lee scenes. They were enjoyable enough. But it, it my enjoyment, it just grinded to a halt every time Selena came on screen. And it like you said, it's not it's not one of those instances where, oh, it's so bad it's good. It's just it's just bad. It's not compelling. And with, you know, with this version of Supergirl and Linda, you know, she's very earnest. And had they had they gone with a villain who, uh, you know, even if it did play up more like the campier side, you, maybe you could have had a little bit of a balance there. But this this just was not that. And you know, you mentioned the Steel movie, and we talked about Batman and Robin. You also mentioned the Steel movie. You know, like I I did a whole episode with Ken where we defended the Steel movie, and it's like, look, we both recognize generally the shortcomings of the movie. I don't think either one of us would necessarily hold it up as one of the all-time great comic book movies. But like Supergirl, it did it did capture the core essence of the character. But 
it had fun with itself and it, you know, it utilized Shaq's physicality in a really enjoyable way. You know, Judd Nelson, you know, chewed up the scenery and that was like, so like, there's enjoyable in that movie. It's fun. There's fun to watch the score. And again, I do like the music in Supergirl, but man, that steel score. Oh, I'm trying like, I haven't watched that in years, but I remember like I was in the theater for that movie. Um, yeah. So you don't have that here. You know, again, I, I do stand by the music in Supergirl, but yeah, uh, uh, otherwise, yeah, unfortunately it's not like it doesn't fall into that category. And and par- I was kind of, I guess maybe I was hoping that it would, you know, when I went into this, I'm like, well, I, from everything I've heard and everything I remember, like, I don't think it's going to be great, but maybe I could still find that, find something to enjoy about it. And it was, it was real tough. It, it at times it feels like they shot like a bunch of stuff, like a four hour epic. And then they just threw scenes together. And I think part of it is you have a villain that's so detached from your comic lore, Mm -hmm. from your just your whole world building. Like, had the villain been, I don't know, like trying to think, what would have been a like like the brainiac thing would have been awesome. But if if not that, like trying to think of a good supergirl, like because you know, you don't want them to be like, oh, she's fighting another Kryptonian. Um but had the villain been something compelling, I think really would have helped. And, you know, just being like, Hey, we just made this character for the the movie. And it, it, you know, when you jump to the villain, you don't feel like you're in the super, like you're not in that world anymore. You know, in, in Superman, the movie, you have Lex and you're like, Oh, Lex. Superman two, you're like Zod. Yeah. Superman three, you're like, want to be Lex slash Maxwell Lord. But, you're not. Um, and this film kind of just falls like that where you're like, I don't feel like I'm in that movie like anymore. Like, and there's so many scenes of like Celine in her lair. What exactly is she doing? What exactly is her powers? You know, what exactly is her sidekick doing? Why is she here? You know, she's just trying to, she's like Otis and Tess Mocker rolled into one character. Um why is a powerful warlock working at an all-girls school? There's another question that we won't go down. Like maybe he just has a thing for teenage girls. I don't know. Like I'm not answering these questions. I'm just, and I feel bad for Helen Slater. Like I feel like she's been re-appreciated. You know, she was on Smallville. Of course, she played uh, Lara, and then she came back and played uh, Supergirl's mom, Mrs. Danvers. And I know you didn't see this, but there's a great line. I think it's in the final episode or maybe the penultimate episode where Helen Slater comes back as their mom and she's helping defend the city with her daughter. And she looks at Carter and goes, you know, in another life, I feel like I was a Kryptonian. Aww. And I was like, you know, and it was just one of those like, that's cool. Like, you know, and I think she's been re-embraced as being Supergirl. And that's the thing is she is loved for being the character, but it's like, we love you, but your movie sucked. Yeah. You know, um, not as to the extent of like Brandon Routh, where everyone's like, oh, you were so good. Like you did well. We like you. But the movie did not work. Um, I feel like that's that's like with Helen. And I kind of wish I kind of wish that maybe we could have gotten a scene of her like in a, a Supergirl styled uniform during crisis and actually paid a little bit more tribute um, to her as Supergirl and not just the motherly character that she's come to be to kind of give a little bit of closure 
And you know how, like with Brandon Routh, he was kind of redeemed with the whole, his arc on crisis, you know, from the Superman uh, returns issues. Like, I think it would have been awesome to have something with Helen to kind of redeem her Supergirl film. I, I agree with you totally. I think something like that in Crisis would have been really cool and not without precedent, right? Because you had Erica Durant who had taken over the role of Allura in, on Supergirl uh, and and that role in Crisis, but she also played <laughs> the Lois Lane from the Smallville right. universe. So, you know, you could have done something like that. And, and I agree, like what they did for Brandon Routh was, was so cool. It was so nice. And Superman Returns is the subject of our next episode and I've already recorded it and I'm very excited for people to hear and I'm excited to hear as a listener of the podcast, just because, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those, like, what's not the, but like, it's so funny because they, it's like man of steel and Superman returns exist like this. They're antithesis of each other. You didn't do enough punching over on this movie. So then you take it to the extreme over here. You did too much of, uh, you didn't do enough talking over here. So you take it, over, you know, um, it's just, it's interesting how those two just really, work in this odd entanglement of story yeah but no it would have been really cool to see her given her due as a supergirl uh in crisis um uh, his politics aside <laughs> i'm only speaking for myself but his politics aside had had they done something with uh dean kane and terry hatcher as lois and clark only because that show did not get a proper farewell you know, it hit almost it was it hit almost a hundred episodes. It did four seasons. It would have been nice to have gotten some sort of wrap up for that iteration. What, what could what you could have done, and you could even do this with green screen trickery, was the Superman that was laying dead that they got to was Dean Kane <laughs> with Terry Hatcher over him, and then you had like in the background. Um, a figure that was kind of like Superboy, kind of hinting at the baby they had found, you know, when Superman or when Lois and Clark ended. Yeah, you know, and then that could because I mean, they they were in the same season of Supergirl, but never shared the screen together. Uh, yeah, now I recall, and you know what the had had they utilized them in that Death of Superman tableau, it would have been cool because. You know, uh, Lois and Clark ran during the period of time, during the early 90s, when, you know, it was right, right after the, the death and return. But still, in that general time period, that would have been really fitting. That would have been cool. And it would have been easy because it would have been, you know, a quick shot. And I mean, like I said, you could do with green stream trickery where you have, you film Dean separate from Terry if you couldn't get them on set because it's just, you know, it was broadcast on a TV. And that would have been a really awesome <laughs> tribute um to them and to that sh that version of those characters and yeah i mean we we've we've talked a lot about the film and we could keep parking on it but i mean we've hit the high points i think it's just it's an interesting experience and i mean it does earn its place in this conversation because it's at the breaking point you know superman 3 is that argument point where you have a film where it's like, man, Chris is really great in this, but what is all this over here? And then they do Supergirl and it kind of fits that same where like Helen's doing some cool stuff, but what is all this over here? And then you can just see where we're going down. And then we get Superman four that just comes in. It's like, this is the nail in the coffin for all of this. Um, 
we didn't get another Supergirl. And that was it. You know, it was like the character didn't get its due. And now we're supposed to get this new version in the Flash movie that I guess it exists. There's there's film, you know, it's supposed to come out still a year away. I don't know if you've heard about this movie, supposedly the Flash with a new Supergirl in it. I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, I have. I've seen the photos. It you know, as of this recording, it was recently delayed and news broke of the the lead actor's uh, arrest and personal issues. So, you know, and this movie had already been delayed even before this business. So, you know, I'll I'll believe it when I see it, I guess. We'll we'll see if it actually hits the release date that is planned. But yeah, I do know that they are planning to introduce a new cinematic Supergirl. I've seen the photos. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I try to go into all of this stuff with an open mind and I hope it's good. And, you know, the the state of DC's movies and their plans or lack thereof is really its own conversation. But I will say this idea of them tapping into the multiverse, I do feel very much that this is born more out of desperation, that they're just trying to sort of have a way to be like, well, we could just have whatever we want and not have to worry about building out a universe the way Marvel has. All that being said, you know, if it opens the door and, you know, I'm... I know people might think like, oh, he's being tongue in cheek. No, but it's like, if we could see Shaq as Steel one more time, <laughs> I would be happy. Or Helen Slater as Supergirl. Because, yeah, I mean, there are definitely these instances where you had actors who, and with Helen Slater in particular, or Brandon Routh and Superman Returns, it's like, um, you know, they, they were better than the movies around them, you know? And, and so that's why I, I was so happy for Brandon Routh. I don't know the man, but, <laughs> you know, just he's, kind of- he's, I want him, he was the one I haven't got to- have a chance to meet like that i really want to meet because i've heard he's just a really great guy i mean it seems that way from interviews and things like that and and he's spoken on on michael rosenbaum's podcast about everything he went through when the superman sequels fell through and and all of that and you know he was on a certain path right and i'm sure there was a ton of stuff that was promised him and a ton of stuff that he figured was coming his way being and being superman and you know, went in a different direction and he ended up carving out a nice career for himself, largely, you know, in television, but he, you know, found his, his lane. Uh, but yeah, to see him suit up as Superman again and as, as his version, but in a different capacity as the kingdom come iteration and to be so well received, that was beautiful. Yes. To be, to be able to be him not having forced as much to be Chris. Yes. You know, that, that was always what held him down. And I would love to see something where, you know, even it's just kind of like, you know, the way we saw Burt Ward in crisis where he's just like walking his dog or even um, the actress name escapes me who was Huntress. Oh yeah. Who, Ashley Scott. Ashley. Yes. It, it can't be right as you like, you know, to have Helen Slater just kind of stand out and just kind of be like, even if it's just a scene of like her recreating the pose in front of Popeye's chicken, you know, like that would be awesome. Like, she just stamps out in the Supergirl, you know, a little bit of an altered, you know, like updated uniform um, of Supergirl. And she's just standing there in front of Popeye's chicken. That'd be awesome. Something like that would be cool. I, as you said, we we did certainly focus far more on the negatives, but I think justifiably. But again, enjoyed the music, really loved the casting of Helen Slater and her, her earnest performance that I think was, you know, a, a pretty classic take on the character. The casting for Lucy, again, really felt like like a kid sister of Lois. It was, you know what was so funny, man? I, like I said, I saw this probably once as a kid. I could have sworn that 
Jimmy played a much larger role in this movie. It's really only a it's like it's a relatively small part in my mind. I had imagined him as this like very major supporting character. I can see that because it's like the character you latch on to because you know, because you're like, oh, it's Jimmy from Superman. It's like he's here. And like in your mind, you just make it so much bigger because that's the character and that's who you know. And that's that makes you feel like it's more part of, you know, he's like the agent Colson. Like, oh my gosh, he's here to recruit Supergirl. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but it was still nice to at least have him as again, as that bit of connective tissue, you know, that, that, that was at least something, uh, yeah. I mean, other than that, oh, you know, um, one thing I, I, I thought of you, cause I, I know you are more of a proponent of utilizing, you know, your own head cannon to sort of work out some incongruities and things like that. So there was an article on CBR relatively recently, I think that, and I think this was a stretch and they were being generous, but we're trying to sort of take this you know superman's absence in the supergirl movie he's off on this intergalactic peacekeeping mission and sort of turn that into the absence that he returns from and superman returns did you see that article mm, no I'm, I'm interested in again i i don't think it you know I, I don't know that that really tracks but just this idea that there's this period of time right in the donnerverse that the supergirl movie specifically exists in during which Superman is absent. He's off world. Just as Superman Returns establishes that there is this large period, I mean, five years in that movie where he's gone. So I think the theory was just like, well, is this the same period of time that he's, that he's gone? I mean, you can make it. I mean, you can make it that because Superman Returns, and I know you'll dig into this. Um, you know, they said it was supposed to erase three and four, but at the same time, it feels like, does it work with two? Um, you know, is it like just after Superman, the movie, but then, you know, like it's supposed to be this connective piece to that universe, but at the same time, you know, you have modern tech and it just, it just, it exists. Like I told you before in my head, Canon, the world where Superman returns lives is the same world where green lantern is. They're off together. Him and Ryan Reynolds are off fighting space together you know protecting the galaxy because so i don't want to leave him out with all by himself so he's got green lantern with him in their own pocket universe right on all right i can get behind that uh oh you know actually one other one other positive so in the big climax the big battle with selena after supergirl returns from the phantom zone i do want to jump back to that for one second in a, in a minute but um there was there was a, a moment where Supergirl was like against the ropes there. And it looked like my fear was that Ethan was going to be the one to rescue her. And I forget specifically how this played out, but she saved herself. And I was very happy to see that. And again, you know, look, we're going back decades now. So had it played out differently where the hunky gardener saved the day, I, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked, but I'm glad they didn't go in that direction. So it's like for all of the flaws, again, I think when you really get down to the very, very core essence of the character that was there it was just as we've been saying like everything else around her was was not up to the task yeah it's like she was in a movie and there was another movie going on around her and she was trying to do her best to be a part of that movie so yeah and then finally just with the phantom zone we talked about it before so i mean i guess i sort of 
sort of give my take on it where I, I have these mixed feelings about it. But for you, like you were, you were happy to see it and you were pleased with the way they realized it. You know, I, I always agree with what you said originally. It's the same thing. Like I, you know, the TV show Supernatural. One of the biggest things was in season six, they talked about purgatory. <laughs> there's a lot of, and there's a lot of part where they talk about how horrible it is. Well, and then I think it's season eight, we see it and it sucks, you know, and it goes back to that. Your mind makes it more of a threat than you could ever do on screen. So I completely agree with like the idea of leaving at this horrible place where you don't want to go. Like, what is it? Um, but in the same breath, like, like you said, you had to do something in this film that's familiar enough, it, you know, but at the same time, they could have said it was like the negative zone, you know, like they, they use phantom zone, but at the same time, we didn't get, travel the same way that we had seen people tr- banished and transferred to the phantom zone. Um, they could have called it something completely like the inner space zone, you know, uh, the quantum realm they could have done whatever they wanted to um, but it, it was neat to see and I will tell you right now I am very interested just to hear your take on the phantom zone when you get to season two of Krypton because I think with everything we're saying right now just remember this conversation because I think you'll appreciate what they do with it uh, there Right on. No, I'm very excited to get to that. Like I said, that, that'll be the end of the year, but I, I, I am going to get there and I'm looking forward to it. And it's so funny that you brought up Supernatural because I know you're a fellow Supernatural fan, as am I. Watched all 15 seasons. Remember when we were getting ready for our son to be born at the hospital and I was a little bit behind at that point on the show. And I remember sitting there on my iPad, you know, there was a lot of time as we were waiting and I was catching up on episodes that always have a very special place for me. But uh I thought of purgatory too. I had the same thought because it's like they build it up to be this terrible thing. And then it's just the woods. It's and, just and, the woods. <laughs> and what killed, like, you know, if there had been dialogue where they had said in the story, like, like, you know, because the whole point is like Dean as a person gets transported there. It's not like his spirit. Like it's right. supposed to be like where monsters go when they die in the, in this canon. And they had said something like, you cannot process it as a human. So like your mind is just, turn it to something that you can understand and it's woods, but that's really not what it is. I could have went with that, but it's just the woods with a filter. Like, yeah. And it's the same thing when like they went to hell or all that, like you, you build it up as, and then they just, it, it just doesn't live up to anything. You just, you, you lose that wow factor or that haunting. I mean, that was one of the biggest things for me in that show was like, they're like, purgatorious a place of gnash and teeth of monsters and you're like oh dang and then he goes to like it's just the woods yeah well and like you said the same thing with the hell because at the end of season three when when dean gets sent there spoiler alert but the show's been for <laughs> it's been decades now but uh you know they did this big cgi thing and he's like strung up and it, it you know he's being tortured and it's like oh my god this is this is freaky and then in subsequent seasons when they go it's like a dungeon with some offices yeah. like it's <laughs> yeah the, it becomes a joke it, and yeah and you're like you you completely kill that tension that you created um and you run the risk of that and Hey, let me ask you this real quick. What do you think about Misha Collins being cast as Harvey Dent for the Gotham Knights show? 
Yeah, I like that. I dig that casting. Yeah, I was I was I happy do, to see that. As the fact that, you know, I saw him play various versions of Cass in the show and looking at his acting, and then uh the fact that Harvey Dent's my favorite Batman villain. I'm really excited to see what he does. Like I'm now excited for that show because of that. Yeah, as am I. No, I, I agree with you. And well, you know, the the last thing about the Phantom Zone, and look, I've said the same thing about Doomsday too on the show where there's a big part of me that's like, man, if Doomsday just came out of nowhere, killed super, you know, fought Superman to the death, was then hurtled off into space, and we never heard from him again, and we never learned where he came from, it's like, man, that's so badass and scary and epic. Same thing with the Phantom Zone. Like, if it's just this this pane of glass, and you're like, what is going on in there? It leaves a lot to the imagination. But I do recognize when we're talking about these mythologies in comics and in film and TV, you know, creators always have to continue to like peel back those layers and, and, and keep digging in. And so I understand that we're going to get those origin stories and we're going to get new levels to those origin stories and backstories. And we're going to go to these other places. So it's like, I, I get it. Because we always ask the question of what and why, and eventually that story's going to be told because it's going to sell. And I'm going to throw this out to you real quick. You, you probably haven't got to your reading, but if they wanted to do Doomsday on Superman and Lois, I think they need to do Super Doomed. That was one of the storylines I thought was really unique. I haven't reread all of it, so I can't remember all the points, but the idea that Doomsday becomes like a virus oh, yeah. that infects Superman and starts turning him into Doomsday, that's the way, I think, to introduce the doomsday concept into that show than just being the standard doomsday. Um, I think that'd be a really unique, you could even draw it out where like Clark's getting sick, you know, and like something's going on and like he starts uh, having issues and it'd be a cool way to do that. And once again, the way that they utilize doomsday in Krypton is really cool. And I think you'll appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm and the just, fact think, that the actor that plays the Kryptonian that becomes Doomsday was in Supergirl in the latter seasons. So there's like a ton of jokes that I made about him turning into Doomsday in Supergirl. That was the big twist at the end. That's what I kept holding out for. Was he was all of a sudden just gonna and it never happened. Ah, so. uh, gotcha. Interesting. Well, and you know, I, I maybe well, I don't know whether we whether it's a positive or not. I guess is debatable. But this visual language of the Phantom Zone as desert and caves. I know there was a little bit more involved, but that was sort of the, 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 the bedrock of it. You know, yeah, we did I'm, get to see that in Supergirl and, and Smallville. So again, whether you, again, maybe some like it and some don't, but uh, I, I guess in, in large part, it stems back to that, right? I mean, certainly in, in live action, we hadn't seen other depictions of it. Super. So Supergirl season six, when she's in the Phantom Zone, is very reminiscent of Supergirl the movie. Yeah um smallville did it very much as a desert wasteland right and then the only other version has been krypton which is my favorite iteration and everything and you'll see why um but other than that like you know it's just the idea of whatever it was in superman and superman 2 right so and once again that's another like the the image of the of the glass and everything going to the phantom zone is is burning your brain. That's another visual, like you said, visual language that you could have used in Supergirl, right? 
that you didn't. And it makes me kind of wonder if they, if it maybe really really originally wasn't the Phantom Zone, but then they're like, we need to call it something people know. Like, let's just call it the Phantom Zone to get people excited. Or maybe it was originally set up to be something else, like some other wasteland or some other dimension. And they're like, oh, we'll just call it the Phantom Zone. So I don't know. Like, the more digging I've done in the production, I found out more recently. I have books, you know, like the making of Superman, the movie. I know so much about that making. I'm curious. I want to know the making of Supergirl, the movie, because I want to know more about these changes that they made in the script and on filming and corners they cut and things in the story that got, you know, I'm even curious to go track down the VHS to watch that 120. What is it? The 120 minute? 100 and, yeah, 105 no, minute no, cut. 105 minute. Yeah. Cut and see like, what is it? Because maybe it is a tighter movie that makes more sense because they cut out a lot of the the stuff that wasn't working. You know, sometimes that helps being shorter compared to putting more information in that can, you know, not help. So I, I don't know. Like, I'm curious to find it and see if if there's a tighter story being told, like a focus. Because I feel like if you if you zoomed in and just, just told Kara's story and really put the Zelina stuff on the back, even though it might not make sense, I think it'd be a stronger story and movie. I agree. And like, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm a, well, it's funny. I mean, I guess the version that I would have seen in the late eight or early nineties on home video or on TV, I guess would have been, which cut would it have been? The hundred- it probably would have been the hundred. It probably would have, because the 105 was released on VHS. Okay. So- I don't know what, I don't know what was broadcast. I couldn't figure out like what was like the, if, if what was the TV cut became the direct part of the director's cut or whatever, because we know the history of like Superman, Superman choose the TV cuts and yeah. stuff. So I don't, I don't know what was broadcast on TV. Yeah. I mean, uh, in I any, ha- yeah. I mean, in any event, I, I guess I'll say this. It's like even watching the longest cut, there's still stuff that doesn't make sense. So it's like, and part would- of me is like, how much worse could it be? And to your point, I suspect that it probably was more of the Selena stuff that went so yeah, if it's really when the Supergirl aspects were the best part of it. So if it really f- drilled down more on that, and you still had this wonky sorceress on the side, yeah, may- I don't know. That's actually a good point. Maybe that does work better because I'll tell you this much: watching the longest cut was not the way. <laughs> I want a really good fan edit of like someone doing all these ideas we talked about, like reusing the footage of Krypton, cutting out Argo City, like repurpose some stuff, tweak some things to make it make sense. And car, it shows up in car, it shows up on earth or you car was actually imprisoned on accident in the phantom zone. And when Zod and them broke free, so did she, <laughs> you know, like, I know, well, something I'll say this for, and I always issue this disclaimer if for anyone out there who's listening to this. If you love Supergirl, the movie for any reason, right on. And I'm, you know, I know we've been dumping on it, but if there's meaning or value or enjoyment, you found within this movie awesome and i can i can understand if you grew up like watching it much like i have a love for superman 4 because i saw it so much on tv and there's that nostalgia factor and that was what brought you into the world i completely get that and understand it you know it's one of those things like we're looking at it from the eyes of just a story and a filmmaking where there's questionable things being done and i'm not gonna i'm not hating on anyone if they say hey i love it great cool you know you, you you're getting something out of it that i i can't or i didn't but, you know, I'm experiencing it here now as a man in my 30s, 
um, compared to experience it when I was younger, when, you know, you, you, you just absorb it and love it for what it is. And you don't think about all the behind the scenes or learn about all the alterations that were made and stuff like that, all the baggage that comes with it. So if you love it, great. I would love to hear you talk about it. You can even come on my podcast and we'll talk about it and you can tell me why you love it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, there you go. And where can people find your podcast, by the way? Plug your stuff, my friend. <laughs> uh, Krypton Report is the all things, you know, Superman, Kryptonian podcast. We talk Supergirl, Superman, and, you know, DC in general. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we post all the time and it's a good time. And I, I mean, I say this not lightly. Like if you want to, you know, I anyone who's interested in podcasting who wants to come on and talk, shoot us a message on Twitter. Our email is cryptonreportpod at Gmail. We've had a couple of guests this year so far with just people that's mentioned that they've always wanted to kind of be on a podcast and never done it. And I'm like, come on, let's do it. You know, that's how you learn. And that's what this is about is building community and talking to people with similar interests. You know, if, if I didn't have Anthony here to talk to, I'd be talking to my wife and she only takes so much of it before she's like, Tyler, stop. <laughs> I've heard enough. <laughs> I love her. She loves me. She'll talk about it, but you know, she's, I know that she's like, she's glad that I have these other people to talk to. <laughs> I, I suspect my wife feels the same way. <laughs> like, she, she's upstairs. She's by the door right now. Like, yeah, it's like I, you know, and we do talk about a lot of this stuff, but yeah, I mean, to be able to talk about it in this much depth with someone who has, you know, watched it and has thought about it, to this extent is really amazing. So, and that's a ge very generous offer about, you know, bringing people onto the show. So, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to check out Krypton Report. And, you know, as far as the Supergirl movie, like I said, this was, it was a rough watch, but I am glad for myself that I watched it at least one more time as an adult and really got a sense of what it was all about. And, you know, look, its place within the Donnerverse is tenuous. Unique. <laughs> sure. You know, go with that. Uh, and more than anything, I just came away frustrated because I felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities. And, you know, over the course of this almost two hours, you know, we've talked about a lot of different directions it could have gone. In. And I think all in all, that was the thing that sort of disappointed and upset me the most was that I felt like there were enough ingredients there. There was the potential there that just went unrealized. But at the end of the day, look, it exists within this world that Richard Donner created, you know, whether and to what extent or how effectively it captures that magic of, of the Donner movies. I, you know, I don't think it does, but it does still exist within that world. And so I, I really am glad that, that we, we talked about it. And so uh, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on to do this. Oh, my pleasure. It, it was fun. And like, like I said, I'm always up for talking about the bad stuff to, cause nobody wants to. So I'm like, I'm in. Right on, my friend. Well, we'll have you back on the show again uh, in the future for sure. In fact, we'll talk about that off mic. And uh, I want to thank the audience as always. And just to reiterate, Tyler and I did a whole episode on Superman 3 and Superman 4, again, in the context of that fan edit called Superman Redeemed, which which edited the two movies together, the best of both movies. So if anyone's like, hey, you're doing this Donnerverse event, where's Superman 3, where's Superman 4? That period of the Superman mythology, we did cover that in an episode last year. So if you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to. It's a really, really fun one. Very interesting. We got a lot of great feedback on that. So I hope people would check yeah, that one out. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Good. No, that's great. 
so again, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, audience. Make sure that you come back in one week. It's the grand finale of our five-part Donnerverse event. Sweet, sweet Bernie Gersmeyer is back, and he and I talk all about Superman Returns. Uh, it's, a, it's a very fitting finale to this five-part event, so I hope you'll join us. And until then, as always, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My new spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC movie fan journey, is coming soon exclusively on my Patreon, starting at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.